Hey everybody, this is Tony Floreal, the host of the Hangry and Horny Podcast. I just come in to you from Northern Ireland in a town just outside of Belfast. I am on the second month of my three-month European tour. I was just recently in the Netherlands in France. Check me out on Instagram if you want to know my latest whereabouts, uh, some of the courses and workshops I'll be hosting in the future through magicflowbus.com. You can also find the past and latest guest of this show. If you're interested in ordering Flow Real t-shirts and hats, you can also direct message me on Instagram at T-O-N-E-F-L-O-R-E-A-L and uh, love to hear from you. A big shout out to the sponsor of this show, F-Bomb. Fat is smart fuel. They make delicious macadamia-based nut butters. They also make incredible oils for salad dressing, such as avocado oil. They have a olive oil version and also MCT oil for those that want to put it into their fat coffee. You can get these products at Amazon, Whole Foods, CVS. You can also order online using the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and you get 20% off of your first order. So go to dropanfbomb.com and get yourself some delicious macadamia nut butters. They have different flavors from... My favorite, which is chocolate with sea salt. They also have a macadamia sea salt version, a pecan version, and a regular macadamia version. So go to dropanfbond.com, use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and get 20% off of your first order. My next guest is a dear friend of mine, an incredible, kind-hearted human being, with a curious, sharp mind. He's also a world traveler, and he is the visionary of an empowering community called Communify. He is currently writing a book called The Art of Interpretation, and I would describe this as a guidebook for understanding your own subjective reality and consciousness and how to understand that and then understand the sort of realities that we all live in and to maneuver in the world and to understand how you can best make decisions and uh, choices that will enable you in this incredible and limited precious life. His name is Nima Kalilian and Nima was born in a small town in Italy. He comes from a Persian family who had immigrated from Iran and during the Iran uh, revolution, they decided to move from Italy to the United States where he grew up in Los Angeles. Nima had come from humble beginnings. He had suffered uh, many challenges and setbacks in his life. He spent time in jail and uh, almost was sentenced to life imprisonment. But somehow he had found a way to you know, redeem himself. And so 
without further ado, let's listen in to his story on how he was able to turn his life around. So please give it up to Nima Kalilian. Enjoy, everybody. Nima Kalilian, what's happening, brother? Welcome to Hangry and Horny. Thanks, brother. How you doing? It's good, man. It's been an awesome journey with you. Absolutely. Uh, what has it been? A few weeks now, we came out to Europe from California. Yeah, man. It's been almost a month. We're doing it. Yeah. So how do you feel about being in Europe? We're actually in Ireland right now in Bangor, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Riley's place. Yep. Back here again. Yep. Feeling fantastic. Yeah couple months ago we were here yeah and we had to come back totally man yeah so what's your your thoughts on being in uh northern ireland um such friendly people i i haven't met even a mediocre person over here everyone's been so so kind and caring and uh they seem to like you a lot too which is pretty cool oh man it's a compliment you know yeah um yeah, I mean, you were saying earlier that, you know, you're kind of tripping out because it's almost like too nice, you're not used to it, or... I mean, um, I'm used to it back in my place in Pai, but uh, in Thailand, um, but yeah, I, I don't think I've been, I can say for sure, I've never been anywhere in Europe where people have been this kind and just uh, this open as well, just really willing to chat and take the time out of the day to see how somebody's doing, and it's beautiful, I love it. Yeah, what do you think that is? Because, you know, um, you're just like me, you're a phlomatic, you're nomadic, and uh, you've been all over the world. You were mm-hmm. actually born in Italy yeah. and uh, moved to Los Angeles at an early age. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll get into your story, which is really awesome and uh, pretty crazy, you know, yeah. and uh, the type of comeback that you were able to make. And But, um, you know, you're a Persian descent, too, so your family background is that they came from Iran. Definitely. So, um, again, like, what do you think it is here that's different? Um, If I had to guess, I feel like the Irish people as a culture have just, they're just hard, you know. They've, uh, They've gone through it, and they've persevered, and it's beautiful, and, um, Northern Ireland as well. We were chatting about it the other day. They they had a lot of conflict um, between particular groups, and I think they they're just happy to be chilling now. You know, they're happy to be able to live their lives, and um, they they definitely express it in a very beautiful way as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's always so warming. You know, um, it's interesting because of the weather. It's not like that of what we're used to mm-hmm. especially in southern california um yeah we come here and everybody's so friendly you yeah know? and uh, i feel at home right or right off the bat mm-hmm. so um yeah so we are obviously having a great time and you know we're just grateful for scott riley for his hospitality and he was actually on an earlier hangry and horny episode uh, maybe a couple back. I'm losing track, but um, so what? What's your your deal, man? Like, what's going on in your life? Um, you know, you're you're looking at uh, this this philosophy or 
or way of being that you want to share to the world, like with communified? With communify, yeah. with uh, the art of interpretation, yeah. Just uh, finding different means of expression to be able to share the beauty I've found in life and the freedom I've found in my expression and um, also creating a pl platform for others to be able to do the same thing, you know? Um, wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for all the amazing people that were around me and the experiences I got to have. And yeah, to an extent, you certainly have to be open to the lessons and take them in. Um, but I'm just super grateful for the people that have been around me and have uh, shared their experiences. And yeah, I, I feel like uh, I know I'm not special compared to anybody else. And um, I... I kind of had extreme circumstances that have led me to be willing to take the leap per se. And, um, I, I think there's, or I know, I know that there's just so many incredible people out there that just need the right resources to be able to shine, shine really bright and put their expression out into the world. I, I would love to see it. I love to be one of the dominoes that falls over and leads to whatever else is coming you know so communified is a like platform a place that people can come to and then what happens yeah so come unify it's uh c-o-m-e space u-n-i-f-y um the basis is 75 percent ish of the land will be used for permaculture which is a sustainable ag agriculture and um will be growing really clean food um, trees, fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and so on. Um, and then we're also going to have a communal living space where people will be able to offer up their help and get free food, free housing, and free education. Um, the other section of it will be a retreat center, and that will be uh, housing around 20 to 30 people. And they will get to take part of the academy, which will, instead of having a say yoga retreat or a meditation retreat we'll have around 10 instructors per week that'll be there and time slots for each one and you'll be getting a full range of experiences while you're there um, choreographed in a particular way to resonate with you and um, you also get to connect and collaborate with beautiful people that are there uh, the instructors will have a platform to be able to express the, their beautiful gift that they have and um, they will be teaching the people at the retreat center and also the people at the communal living center. And yeah, that'll be our superhuman center over there where people can come tap into some more things. You know, sometimes we get stuck in the cycle of life, which is beautiful in its own way. And um, this is a, pl a platform, a place you can come plug in and get new input coming in. And we're going to have instructors that are going to be coming and going as it goes. So it'll constantly be morphing and um, yeah, like I said, I know I'm not, I'm not anything in particular more than anyone else. So I'd love a place where all these people can share their gift and uh, others can receive it. And if something resonates with them in particular, they can delve deeper into it. And yeah, that, that's a small portion of what's going on there. There will be other things as well. And uh, we'll, we'll put that out as the time comes as well. And how did this uh, evolve to this uh, this sort of vision that you have? Um, so there's a couple things. I 
have to thank Elephant Nature Park, which is a elephant sanctuary in Thailand. Um, I saw a video on it and felt compelled to go over there. So the last day that we were there, there's a lovely lady by the name of Lek who runs the entire thing. And she came and spoke to all of us. And this thing is in the middle of nowhere, this massive compound. And she said, hey, did you guys see all the houses that are outside of here? And we said, yeah. And she said, you notice there aren't really any other houses, it's just these. And we said, yeah, we noticed that. And she said, well, this is actually a community. Um, the food that you guys are eating is what the people who work here eat. And they get these houses to be able to live in. And we're one big family. And then it just kind of hit me like, oh, wow, like a community doesn't have to just be people sitting in a drum circle or you come stay here and and we isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. This can be an attraction. This can be something where people can come, gain an experience and take that with them and go out. And I can't speak for all communities, but I feel there's a good amount that say, hey, look, there's this system out there and we have this system in here and forget about that, come in here and live this life and it attracts certain people. We're coming more along the lines of there's that system out there, there's this system in here you can come into here, stay here if this is what you want. And at the same time, we're going to give you tools so that if you want to go back out there, you you leveled up or you've revamped and you got a couple new tricks up your sleeve that you can present to this world and create as you choose, express yeah, as you choose. Like isolating yourself. So you're about like learning new skills and information mm -hmm. that can empower you. And then from there, integrate or plug back into the everyday world that we live in versus escaping from it. Absolutely. And um, again, just reinforcing that understanding that we all have so much to offer, you know? It's not just you with what you're doing or me with what I'm doing, but everyone really has something to offer, whether it's, um, you know, a trade or it's just listening to someone when they need someone to listen to them. We, we're all so valuable in so many ways. And um, I know me personally, I got away from that and uh, went into a hole, you know, and just uh, spent a big portion of my life feeling pretty worthless. So uh, recognizing that for myself, that I'd love to be whatever part of it I can be to offer that to other people. And um, another big thing that kind of led to all of this was through the people that I met in Poland during the Wim Hof Method, um, people open their homes up to me, you know, and I was able to travel the world and go stay with people and feel very at home and also get an authentic experience in these parts of the world and not just feel like I'm, you know, going snapping pictures of whatever famous monument they have and, and leaving. Just being a tourist. Yeah, I was actually going grocery shopping and, you know, walking through the park and seeing what a day-to-day -day life is like in these particular places. And I said, man, uh, I'm so, so lucky. I'm so grateful for all this. And how can I create this? So, um, yeah, the, the goal is to have an international network of these places. So those who don't have so much money to be able to do something like that can just come and bring themselves, you know, just, just bring yourself and express yourself and allow yourself to be vulnerable and connect with others and, have this place for yourself to to truly see what comes out and whatever it is it's beautiful and um, one of the big things that we we plan on doing is having a weekly community outreach program wherever it may be so that 
Um, we're not just creating a portal for the Western world to live in another part of the world. Um, so let's use Thailand as an example. If we have a communified Thailand, they grow a lot of rice over there. So we can have a weekly thing where we go help them harvest their rice. Or if they're building a hut, help them build their hut. Um, we're helping the community, but they're really helping us because we're getting to have an authentic Thai experience in that moment and see what it's really like to get your feet in the dirt, get your hands in the dirt and, and do the damn thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Versus just, again, isolating or escaping. Um, a lot of expats are like in communities, but they don't engage with the, the local mm. the local people. Mm -hmm. They just kind of like lock themselves up in their little compounds. And so you want to provide a space and uh, um, I guess a program to go outside of the walls mm -hmm. per se and then uh, interact with the local community uh, engage with their practices mm -hmm. and their daily habits mm -hmm. you know and sort of um yeah just help each other synergistically you know and they're like it's, it's not like an open day door policy which i'm sure you and i've noticed when i go around the world with our people that we meet in different groups um, there's always an open door, like come stay with us and you want to provide that sort of, uh, space where they're always welcomed and not feel like obligated or weird that they're, they're there, you know? Yep. Like, so, and it's just, uh, so much beauty in the people as well. You know, um, you can create this, but the people that are there are, are going to create the energy of it, you know? And, um, if, if people allow themselves to be vulnerable, um, it's just so powerful for others, you know? And I know you've experienced that. I've certainly experienced it myself when, when I talk about certain aspects of my life or really down points in my life. Um, some people, you just see that face where they're like, why is he telling me this right now? But when they see like how open you are, then it, it kind of allows them to do the same thing. And um, yeah, we definitely want to provide a space for that and another thing we're providing there is uh certain things like a uh, particular gardens we're creating animal sanctuary other things where people from the area can just come and spend the day there you know be somewhere beautiful and experience it again removing that that isolation and just merging you know letting the whole thing dance and so what you're talking about with vulnerability is that like we walk around with our, our mask on mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons, could be trauma, uh, insecurities, fear. So to provide a space where you're accepted as you are, as you, is, that, is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying, yeah. We, we got to recognize that we've all set certain thresholds or certain boundaries as to what's good and what's bad and how someone should and shouldn't be and if we can accept that we're so much alike all of us but we're also different and that's so beautiful and then keep ourselves open to hearing different perspectives and and seeing where somebody else is coming from there's growth in it all the way around you know um and yeah there i i guarantee you you, me, anybody who's watching or listening to this is going to, we're not going to see eye to eye on everything. And that's completely okay, you know, and it's beautiful. If we were all the same thing and acting the same way, what would be the point, you know? It would be a brave new world, you know? Yeah, so with that um, space that you're providing, 
um, how did you come to that understanding yourself? I mean, we talked earlier that you came from extreme circumstances. You've been down and out in your life. Um, you know, you've been in prison. Um, so, jail. Yeah. Oh, jail. Okay. So that's a big difference. There's a difference. Yeah. It was close to that though, right? It was uh, knocking on the door for sure. Yeah. 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 So, um, so you had these experiences and um, with the art of interpretation, right? So this is uh, what what came to you um, in, I guess, various different stages recently. Um, when with the Wim Hof method and like going to Poland and right before that being suicidal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at a very early age, my father used to take me into nature a lot. Um, my mom was my best friend because we were moving so much and we used to sit and play this Ninja Turtle board game with each other. And uh, I didn't really have any friends growing up initially when we came to America because we were just flat broke, just didn't have anything. Um, I didn't know it then, but the reason we were moving so much is because we couldn't pay the rent, you know? And okay. um, let's go a little bit further back. So your your family's from Iran. Yeah. Okay. And then they ended up uh, with the year before the revolution or something that yeah. they ended up in Italy. Yeah. They both uh, they didn't know each other in Iran. They both ended up in Italy in a town called Perugia, which is where I was born. And that was one of two cities in Italy at the time that offered uh, international students uh, a language course and a pathway into the university over there so they ended up meeting each other over there and um that's where i was born so yeah they they uh they were young they had to kind of put everything on hold when i was born they were really hard working they were both uh working as a waiter and waitress and uh, i remember my mom telling me stories of my dad coming home and sticking the key into the the slot to open the door and then just falling asleep right in front of the door and just not even making it into the house wow, yeah wow. They, and they they were so loving and they did everything they could for me um super grateful for them and that pattern continued w way into my life which um we'll get into for sure but yeah so they um they were there and um i think they just felt like there was a certain amount we could do over there. And after that, it was, we were just going to plateau. Um, so they wanted to move on to the next step. They were considering England because both of my mother's sisters lived out there. And initially, me and my mother went out there. And my dad was looking into America for us. We went out there with, we went out to America, I should say, with nothing. I think my dad had a couple hundred bucks in his pocket and just faith that it would work out and yeah so we were bouncing around from house to house i didn't really get to know many people for so like before that they were um were considering ever going back to iran or they no. they the revolution happened they're like oh goodness like we can't go back but we don't want to stay in italy yeah my my dad um my dad was just really hurt by this uh the oppression of 
his family and all that. And I, I think it put a really sour taste in his mouth at that time of his life. I say that and at this very moment, they're both there right now and spending time with their family. And they were very fortunate because they did leave before the revolution. So the Iranian government didn't look at it and frown upon it like they tried to leave because of the revolution. But um, there was just a lot of change and it came very quickly, you know? Uh, the Iranian culture was very heavily based on music and poetry and art. And uh, during the Islamic revolution, a lot of that was just put to rest basically. Right. You know? So this is like the sort of ancient uh, Persian culture. Mm -hmm. And then it's uh, since been replaced by extremists. Um, in that sense or? To an extent, yeah. To an extent, yeah. Um, I... Yeah. Or at least like the government side of things. Like the people are still trying to keep their sort of uh sense of their 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 community and, and I'm, their and I'm just tradition. a little weary with the word extremist when it comes to Muslims because I feel like when they say Muslim extremist they're thinking like someone who's gonna strap a bomb to themselves and um I Iran just that's not what those people do you know um but certainly extremism in the sense of uh cover up your hair do all that stuff and yeah um yeah it, it was a complete 180 if you look at pictures of iran in like the 60s and stuff you'll think you're looking at like uh los angeles you know? right so, right that's what i heard and mm -hmm. people that i met from mm -hmm. that era that had um i guess gone to school even in the u.s or the uk they they can't they, they couldn't um come back into that that place where they were before where it was uh quite liberal and you know there was a lot of freedom to express and art now like you said it, it's a lot of like cover up um you know based on like i guess uh the religion mm -hmm. per se so yeah when i meant like extremists i'm more like thinking of sort of the ones that are um sort of like blowing up things or or mm -hmm. like hurting people per se but that does, it's not the representation of uh overall the, like the muslim religion just like like with christianity or some of these other religions like people are hiding behind their religion but their religion itself actually teaches peace and love mm -hmm. you know to the extent um you know i'm sure it goes deeper as you look into some of these texts mm -hmm. which we've had like big discussions about with a lot of the religious texts out there mm -hmm. there's some pretty like almost uh primitive or uh stone age thinking in it where there's harm being ha happening to people but uh overall the religions are if we look at the essence is to look at the essence of life itself and uh being human and sort of community and taking care of ourselves and having like the freedom to express yourself and live and so um in peace and love so more or less it's always extreme of people trying to like attack you for something you know that they don't like about you or for some like kind of uh gain you know mm -hmm. material wise yeah and again uh that's why i chose the title the art of interpretation for the book i'm writing because you take a thousand people and they read that same text and they're gonna take a thousand different interpretations of that same exact thing you know um I told you the story, this is fast forwarding a bit, but I actually 
was reading the Quran when I was in Iran and we're gonna have to rewind and come back and all that but uh just because we're on the topic and I kind of froze on a particular point of it I had a really simple question I can't even remember the question anymore but um yeah I I said you know what I'm just gonna wait I want to figure out the answer to this before I continue and there was like a like a, a like a muslim priest for just because i want to make it simple for people to understand what i'm talking about the person in that mosque who uh was in charge of speaking about religion and um yeah he just happened to be in the street like at 10 30 at night i was just standing in the alleyway right when i just stopped reading and i saw him like oh he's here let me let me ask this guy so i asked him the question which again i can't remember what it was but it was a very basic question that I'm sure has a basic answer and uh, he said oh I'd rather show you than tell you if that's okay with you and I said yeah um, I'd love that please so he ends up saying I just get in my car and bear in mind it's 10 30 at night and um, we drove to the cemetery and he took me next to the graves of the people who died in war and um he just started telling me you have to be ready to die for your religion you have to be ready to kill for your religion you have to you have to put it all on the line for this religion are you ready to do that are you ready to do these things and i'm just standing there and i'm like is this fucking guy like trying to recruit me into some kind of a terrorist freaking cell or something you know and um i just remember thinking like man i can't wait to get out of here i just don't want to be here anymore and um Man, it, it was a blur, but when I got out of there, I just remember thinking, like, I, I'm, this is my life. This is my interpretation. Um, I'm going to be very, very weary who I ask for any kind of information, whether it be uh, a religious thing or anything. Whether you're asking your parents something, you're asking a teacher something, or anybody that you're asking something, you have to understand that. It, you are now inheriting their interpretation of that information. Um, if you're okay with that, if you trust that person and that's what you want to do, then cool. But you can also go and and experience for yourself and, and take in your own interpretation if you choose to do so and keep yourself open to um, various other interpretations in the future, which is more along the lines of what I've chosen to do. Right. So what you're saying is essentially um, any um, sort of feedback you receive, which you call, and then we're used to like sort of scientific uh, computer terms, you know, mm -hmm. um, input and output. So whether it's school, your parents, church, uh, your friends, uh, books, uh, any form, TV, internet, mm -hmm. any form of input coming in that you're receiving, there's a certain um, interpretation that that information has come through. Mm -hmm. And so it's up to you to um, have this sense of being um, critical in a, in a way that you don't just like blindly accept the information, but you're you're listening to it. You're you're sort of feeling how that that feels to you mm -hmm. and then um, use your own thinking, your own. Uh, ways of sort of saying yes or no, I want to integrate this information or I like this part or I don't like that part mm -hmm. and this is what I want to use, it's what I don't want to use. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, 
you're you're kind of already doing that you know but if you're subconsciously doing it then you're basically just going to reinforce the beliefs that you already have with everything you know because uh uh, let's use the example of we were at Wildfoot for this Halloween party and we had a beautiful bonfire, but that bonfire is not going to exist unless the wood is burnt, you know? So are you going to look at it and say, oh, this wood doesn't exist anymore? Or are you going to say, wow, this fire exists? You know, it's the same thing. Whatever you choose to take out of that experience, you're going to take, you know? And if you're somebody who says, man, we're wasting too much wood in this world, then when you, when you see that happening, you're your pattern recognition is going to go to that wood disappearing, you know? Um, and that's kind of with everything. You can find what you consider good and bad in every single thing. And um, I think it's just very important to recognize that nothing is set in stone. You may believe something today and, and completely flip to the 180 of that tomorrow with new information that comes in. And that's just important to recognize in my opinion. And, um, Otherwise, it's very easy to just have constant pattern recognition that is reinforcing your current beliefs. And I feel like uh, a lot of people die because of that. You know, a lot of a lot of people stay hungry because of that. A lot of people disconnect themselves from being able to connect with others and put themselves into a box because of that. And if we can stay open and and put ourselves out there and trust oh man it, like i i know i'm barely touching the human experience but i feel like i've i've felt so much larger of a human experience than i had in the years past because i was stuck in that loop you know stuck in that loop of just what i'd hard fixed as my beliefs in that moment of my life right so somebody's feeling stuck in life um we talk about like feedback loops as well and you know, we have these thoughts where these you're just looping the same thoughts over and over and you're just kind of have like that thousand miles stare. And at some point you really like snap out of it like, holy crap, where did I go? Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying that like a lot of people are living that like constantly where they don't take the time to like smell the roses and mm-hmm. feel the breeze and the sunshine. And, and by sort of taking a pause and like really evaluating like that loop inside of you and then um, being empowered to say um, am I being run by uh, patterns that are a bit dogmatic Um, and then I guess the art of interpretation as I see it is that it gives somebody a tool to be able to um, have a choice of of what direction they want to go if they come to like let's say ahead of their own thoughts and beliefs and their old patterns Mm -hmm. that are limiting and then from there they're like i don't want to live this way like how can i escape that feedback loop and you see that there's another door or a few uh, other options that you can choose from rather than let your subconscious just like take over and rule you until your the end of your your life Uh, yeah i um i think that's a very good point that you're making um the the part about the subconscious there's there's a lot of books out there about conscious living and mindfulness and i think that's very important um being aware of something should give you the conscious choice in that matter sometimes it doesn't sometimes you're aware of something but 
it's outside of your field of being able to affect it in that moment of your life, right? But um, typically gaining that awareness now gives you a conscious choice in it. But 95 plus percent of our day-to-day experience is being ran subconsciously. So if you really wanna make a major shift in, in the way that you're living, the way that you're putting yourself out there and and get into that flow reality, then you, you need to tweak that subconscious, you know, um, that, that thing that's running most of the stuff. And it takes that consciousness to be able to recognize it and then make the shift. But, um, that subconscious needs work. And, you know, there's a lot of like self-help books that tell you how to be or what to do. This isn't that, this is telling you what it is saying like, look, this stuff is out there. This, this is your day to day. This is reality. You know, um, just now you have the awareness so you can make the conscious choice. And if you, if you sit there and you read it and you choose to live the same way you've lived your entire life, then cool. You know, that's your experience. But, uh, I, I'm just very curious to see what happens if people have the choice instead of being in that autopilot and not knowing, you know, like, uh, um, it's kind of like taking a sailboat without a sail. You're at the mercy of wherever the, the current takes you. Um, this will hopefully give you the sail. It's not going to direct the ship for you and tell you that this is the way you need to go with it, but it's going to say, Hey, look, there's the sail now. Um, do what you do and enjoy it. This is your experience. What I think should or shouldn't happen in this world is my individual choice yours is the same and everybody else um but man it it would be nice if if people could have the choice and i'd like to do my part during this lifetime to see that yeah i mean with the uh mindfulness like things like uh the present moment the now Mm -hmm. uh you know, even meditation, self-help, they all have a wonderful intention of helping people um, sort of snap out of their old patterns, which they don't want to live that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet the habits are so ingrained that it's so uncomfortable to um, not continue to do what you always been doing, you know, and and in some extreme cases, like continue to be abused by a partner or uh, continue to have addictions to uh, alcohol, drugs, or even something as benign, seemingly benign as like social media and uh, surfing the net and binge watching Netflix per se. So with the subconscious um, I've, I've had my own experiences, obviously, with, like, how I've been able to, like, snap out of these old reinforced patterns that, you know, uh, almost felt like I was caged or in a small goldfish bowl. But, you know, what was it for you that enabled you to realize that you were constantly in this, this groundhog loop and caused you to snap out of that? Um, I'd say... The primary catalyst for it was being in Poland um, during my one week with Wim. That that triggered something for sure. And uh, I felt something while I was there. 
and I I didn't know what it was, but I needed to I need to I need to explore more, you know. And uh, Wim said something very interesting to me when I was leaving. He uh, pointed at this mountain and said, "Look, there's there's one trail that we took to get to the top of this mountain, but there's a million ways to get up it. So don't just always take the same trail." And uh, I I got I got the message, you know. So um, thanks, Wim. Uh, I yeah, he could have could have said give me ten thousand dollars and i'll give you the secret right now and i would have given him whatever he wanted because i'd connected so deeply in that moment you know but he basically just said keep doing your thing and um yeah that was beautiful advice I'm a beautiful person much appreciated um but yeah for me it was uh going back to when i was a kid i i was just me and my parents for a really long time and then just being able to be a kid and play and all this stuff. And then you, you get to this point where they start telling you, look, okay, you've done that, but that's not what life is. Um, life is hard and life is you doing this and we're going to teach you to memorize this stuff. And I want you to regurgitate it back out to me and all this stuff. And, uh, just didn't resonate very well with me. You know, um, I was, um, I, I wouldn't say diagnosed. They, they gave me a test and I was um, gifted in science and mathematics. And um, I used to have this program. These people would come to our school once a month and take us away from the rest of the class and get to like dissect the shark or, um, you know, create like circuits and so much fun. And I was just so into it and really into mathematics. And I just remember in seventh grade, um, they put me in pre-algebra and within like a week they're like no he needs to be in algebra so they moved me to algebra and then I passed it and then we changed schools and um, when I went into eighth grade they they said yeah we don't accept their algebra you have to do pre-algebra again so it basically pushed me back two years and then ninth grade had to do algebra again which I had done two years prior and I just kind of just didn't care anymore i was just like what what is this you know yeah broken system yeah totally broken system and at the same time um you know like i I remember a lot of times my dad would say something about a particular thing and i'd say i don't care and he'd be like you always say you don't care like you have to care you have to care and um i just didn't about particular things you know like he'd say oh like you can't dress like that what are people gonna think and i say i don't care he said, you have to care, you know, and um, that's where he was at. And that's what he was living through. And he was sharing his truth with me. But um, it was just not working for me. You know, it just wasn't working for me. And um, I I remember a particular thing that just really kind of broke me was uh, when I was 13 and we went to Iran. It was my first time going over there and I just um, didn't know. But they planned on having me circumcised over there. Um, and in Italy, I, during the time I was born, they wouldn't do that stuff. And it was like a fucking scene out of Saw, you know? Yeah, and, barbaric. Yeah, I grabbed my hands and feet and I'm kicking and screaming and all this stuff. And uh, I just really didn't feel like I could trust anybody after that. It Like I felt super alone and super broken at that point i just gave up i'm like all right i'll do whatever they want at this point like you know and um 
yeah uh from there i kind of just breezed through life started smoking a lot of weed um felt really disconnected from everybody listened to the slim shady lp and i'm like yeah man this guy gets me you know right fuck everybody right yeah and um so i i just kind of like lived in this like a autopilot zombie state mm -hmm. and then um i met my first girlfriend and uh felt like oh yeah you know um, somebody cares about me and at that point in my life i didn't really care about myself my confidence in myself wasn't very high all i cared about was basketball and i used to put everything my expression was put out on the court and um people who knew me at that time would see it like i wasn't the biggest guy but um out of 12 seasons that i played we won the championship nine times and seven or eight of those seasons i was the best player on the team and i i went hard every single time i was on that floor i went as hard as i could and uh as soon as the game was over i went and played some more and that's all i wanted to do and that's where i found my my peace and my expression you know and i loved it um when i when i was with this girl um i was very happy and my mom had always told me that you're gonna find someone and that's the person you you marry and you gotta always treat them like a princess and do all these things and i did do that and um she was hurting in her own right and had her own upbringing that was um not very supportive for her and uh yeah things things went sour and she ended up um seeing somebody else behind my back and then um we broke up and then got back together and then she started seeing somebody else and we broke up and she ends up uh i end up hearing from other people that this guy is saying all these things about me and that he's gonna kick my ass and that he's in a gang and he'll kill me if he sees me and all these things and um at that point i was hanging out with um, people that were in a dark place themselves, you know, and uh, so ended up approaching this guy and um, getting into it with them. He got into a car and I got into the car and uh, yeah, it ended up becoming a situation where he was very afraid and we drove around in a parking lot and um, they considered that kidnapping because we moved him more than 15 feet without his his acknowledgement of it you know um, right so you say we so it wasn't just you it was uh someone who was driving and so actually he had paid this guy to kill me and didn't know that he was one of my good friends um just knew that this guy was uh ab about it you know and um that guy came and told me he said look this is what's going on and all this stuff and obviously i'm not gonna do that you know so uh what do you want to do and um yeah he got in the car they were meeting for him to give him like his second installment of the money to kill me with and uh the guy pulled up and i got in the back seat and i put a knife to his throat from behind the seat and i said okay i'm here now let's what's up you know and um yeah so we're riding around in that uh in that shopping center said what i had to say and um let him out and he left and 
in my mind I'm thinking, okay, this guy's in a gang and this guy's this and this guy's that. It's it's gonna go down now. And um he went straight to the police and um yeah, from there on it was questioning from a detective, me going over there talking to them, um and yeah, before I knew it, they're kicking in my door at four in the morning and um yeah, taking me out went to jail spent a little over a month in there my bail initially was over a million dollars so there was just no way to be able to get out so you're over 18 at this point i was 18 yeah like i had just turned 18 and this is like the beginning of what we consider our adult life or in the legally, u.s at right. least legally yeah. and um yeah that so at that point just pictured 13 years old, just broke, started smoking a lot of weed and kind of like in zombie mode, still getting really yeah, good grades. Yeah, traumatized from uh, this sort of ancient ritual, you yeah. know, that time of a boy's life to get circumcised mm -hmm. and they went against your will mm -hmm. and uh, you just sort of like checked out after that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so a lot of years of just, the only expression I had was through basketball and then found the girl that I thought we have to get married because this is how it works and that's what it is in the in the fairy tales and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I would notice too is, you know, like you, you watch a movie like, uh, let's say, Cinderella or something like that or, you know, like a hunchback of notre dame watch any of these disney movies we watch as a kid um i would see how the prince would be treated you know what i mean and i wasn't getting treated like that and it starts to make you ask like am i the hunchback am i the frog you know I, what am i in this dynamic you know because i i don't i don't seem to be getting that same look that the football players getting you know what i mean or um whoever and so i was really questioning myself and where do i fall in line with all of this stuff that this is okay you're telling me this is how i have to be now how do i do that and feel happy when all this stuff feels so wrong to me you know and um so yeah i i end up going um have that situation in the parking lot with this guy cops kick in the door i'm 18 years old uh go to jail took about a little over a month before the bail was lowered enough to be able to be bailed out of there and yeah i was on a new level of depression at that point you know iranian culture they're telling you like be a doctor or a lawyer that's what you need to do and definitely not don't go to jail you know what i mean don't, right, don't right. do that yeah and so it's hard on your parents too with the the culture and their family and yeah and just uh that your kid is somewhere with killers you know like they they grade your your crime when you go in there a one through ten you know so if you get put in jail for like some drugs or something you're going to be on the lower end of yeah, it yeah don't get me wrong like that the most important thing mm -hmm. to your parents like, yeah yeah mom and dad can't see their kid and they know that he's with killers you know i was given a nine out of ten as my rating so um in los angeles and la county you know where everybody in there is gang affiliated and i'm not 
and um yeah so i culture and all that yeah but i don't think my parents gave a shit about culture in that moment they just wanted their baby to be with them you know be okay mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah so my dad just like oh and my dad um was very sick at the time he had uh psoriasis psoriatic arthritis fibromyalgia almost died ucla medical center told him that they had three other people that had his illness on the level he did and they had like four months to live each one so they gave him a four-month lifespan he had to go to italy he didn't tell any of us he went to italy to say bye to his friends and uh one of his friends told him to speak to this homeopathic doctor who had him get on the master cleanse which is water lemon juice cayenne pepper so for 16 days, he didn't eat anything and he only had that. And that cleansed his liver and his kidneys enough where he could get chemotherapy. Otherwise, they said he was going to die. And uh, yeah, so he's dealing with all that stuff. But he just like locked in to do what he had to do to uh, deal with this situation, you know. So, um, yeah, I get out of there and then I'm just feeling sorry for myself, super depressed, right back to smoking weed and i'm out on bail at this point and uh this is something that's got to be dealt with the other guy who was involved with the case um i gotta find a way to speed this up because this itself could go for 10 hours but, right um, right yeah there might be a part two yeah maybe yeah. coming <laughs> or soon. part three yeah yeah where we yeah, are we're right good now. we're uh you know we got another 45 minutes so we've got plenty of time cool yeah so um yeah the other guy involved you know they give you the one phone call when you get in there um i called him and i said hey man uh i just want to let you know i'm in jail right now uh i just thought i'd give you a heads up because they kicked in my door and like my parents know i'm here i have no one else to call i'm just letting you know this is what it is and uh he left he he left the house that he was in and from what he told me he said He's gonna go out the front door and he heard a knock and he looked out of the window and saw the police there so he ended up hopping over the fence and leaving from the neighbor's backyard and just getting out of there and um yeah he was he was just on the run for a while so when i got bailed out i got in contact with them and i said listen man like this will be bad if they find you since you left like uh let's get you an attorney and deal with it but he didn't want to do that and um eventually he ended up getting caught he was with one of his friends and his friend got pulled over and then they checked his id arrested him there and then they put a no bail hold on him where he wasn't there like you're not getting out of here no matter what um there was a lot of evidence on him in this case and not on me um my dad got him an attorney um i went through a lot of attorneys on this case so at this point we're at attorney number four and my dad got this guy's partner as his attorney as well so he's like okay we'll have both these partners working on their case together and um yeah fuck that guy man fuck that guy that attorney was a real scumbag like uh oh he he told he told me and my dad that everything was okay and that he was gonna take care of all of us and the day before our pre-trial hearing that guy's dad calls me and just to give you an idea at this point 
we're we're like three years ahead so i've bailed out and we're at like not three years almost two years ahead that this guy has been locked up while we're dealing with this whole no thing. bail he's been locked no up bail. for two years two years he's been in there at this point and um they kept offering us a deal for three years and i kept saying no because the attorney said we're gonna be fine and he was initially saying no but after he'd been in there for a certain amount of time he started saying yes because he's like okay and for every day that you spend in jail that counts as a day and a half of prison time so if you're in jail for two years and then they give you three years you've already served your time because they're giving you a day and a half for each day you get what i'm saying um so yeah he he started saying yeah and the district attorney had told us the whole time, either you're both taking the deal or neither one of you are taking a deal. Your cases are conjoined. Whatever he does, you have to do. You're both getting the same deal. You're both getting nothing. And that's what it is. So the day before our pretrial hearing, um, the the other guy's dad calls me and says, hey, can you meet up with me? I said, yeah, sure. So I go meet up with him and he plays a voicemail for me. And it's from the his attorney who's partners of my attorney who my dad's paying for both of these attorneys and he said hey i just want to let you know your son's gonna get life i already told nima and his dad and they don't care about what happens to him all they care about is that nima's okay so um yeah your son's getting life by and that's that's how it sounded like that was it. and he just hung up and i just heard that and like it was one of those moments where you like everything's like you know and i'm just like the fuck what the fuck and um so i told him i said listen i'm gonna take the three years tomorrow i can't let your son be in there for his whole life i can't you know there's way too much evidence on him and like it's don't get me wrong we created a traumatic experience for a person um but this guy doesn't deserve to spend the rest of his life behind bars because of this you know and if I got to spend three years in there to know that this guy will be out and not spend his whole life in there, then that's what I got to do. And I told his dad, I said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to take the three years. He said, okay. Um, we come to court. They have a private room where you can talk with your attorney that's soundproof. Um, so when he and I go in there, he leaves the door like ajar. You know, he leaves it a little bit open so it's not soundproof. And I, he says, okay, so you ready to do this? And I said, I'm going to take the three years. And he said, oh, you are? And he said it loudly, too. He's like, you're going to take the three years? And I said, yeah. And then a district attorney pops their head in there. And the guy's like, the lady's like, uh, oh, did I hear you say that he's willing to take the three years? Hold on a second. Let me go see if that's still on the table for him. And she just leaves. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm like, on the table? I was here last week. And they said it was that they were okay with that. So, um and bear in mind, this is the pre-trial hearing. So if, if we're not done at a resolution by that day and we're like three years into this this case at this point, then we're doing jury selection the following day. So, um, yeah, we end up, um, she comes back and she's like, uh, yeah, that, that deal's not on the table for you anymore. Um, it's going to be around five years. It's probably going to be four. Would you take four? And... I felt kind of broken, but I'm like, yeah, I would take four. I'm like, okay. So then now we leave that room and we go in front of the judge. 
and the district attorney says, uh, yeah, so we're going to offer the other guy the three years, which bear in mind, the whole time they told us you're both taking the same deal. We're not, it's not going to be switched up. So they're like, yeah, we're offering him three years because he said yes for quite some time now. And uh, we're offering Nima six years. Um, and said, will you take the six? And again, another one of those moments where like time stood still, you know? And I just heard my dad's voice, literally, he was sitting in the back and I just heard him say no. And it just like, it was like a, like an echo, you know, boom, and then boom out of my mouth, I said no. And the judge said, okay, very well. We'll be back tomorrow, jury selection, this and that. And um, it's pretty crazy. So we had the same bailiff, the police officer who was in that courtroom, we had the same one for three years. This one day, it was a different guy. And uh, he calls me over and he says, first they take that, that guy who was involved in the thing, they take him back in the back where they keep the detainees. And then he comes to me and he's like, yeah, come in here. And I'm thinking, oh shit. So like, I'm gonna be arrested and detained until this process is over. And I go back there and then he says, go talk to your client and I'm like, does he think I'm his attorney? Like, I was wearing a suit and everything. And I go sit there, and I'm like, and he's just like, what the fuck are you doing here? I asked for my attorney. And I was like, dude, I think he thinks I'm your attorney. And he and I haven't had a chance to talk about anything, because when we talk on the phone, it's all recorded, you know? And we finally get a chance to talk, and... You and your buddy. yeah. This is the first time in th three years that, or I guess two and a half, because we got to talk when I bailed out. But since he got locked up, we hadn't had a chance to talk when it wasn't recorded, you know? And he said, dude, I'm fucked. What are we going to do? And I just talked to him. I'm like, look, they told me three, and then they said four, and then they said six. And I don't know, man. What do you want to do? And he said, uh, would you consider disappearing so I could take my three years? And I said, yeah, I I, I would, I'm not going to let you get life, man. I won't let it happen. Um, so, yeah, we told each other we love each other. We're going to get through this, gave a little glass fist bump and left there, went straight home, took a little carry-on bag, uh, packed it with a couple pairs of clothes, what I could fit into a carry-on bag, told my dad what I was going to do. Um he bought me a plane ticket cash, and I left that day. I held my dog, who I love more than anything, and cried on him for like half an hour and promised him I'd be back for him. Um, and he died before I ever got to see him again. Uh, but that was a tough one. And uh, I left. I went to England and um, stayed with my aunt over there. And um, yeah, rightfully so it was very traumatic for them as well you know they they weren't expecting that you know and um they'll extradite you from england back to the united states if they find out so i needed to get out of there i was there for a couple months and my aunt went to the iranian consulate and said look this kid this is what's going on he needs to get to iran and I'm in the Iranian consulate. I'm looking at the guy who's like running the whole thing and he's like rubbing his head and he's like, holy shit, like what did you just bring to my office today? You know, this isn't normal. Um, 
but he said i'll take care of it he's he's iranian we got it we we got him you know and uh, they got me an iranian passport and i went to iran and um that's actually where the whole thing happened with that uh muslim priest we call it oh, i was and gonna that, ask you at what point in your life did that happen that's that's when that happened so you're about what 20 now i'm 20 um had my 21st birthday in iran while i'm a fugitive of the united states um had crazy stories over there too um one of my cousins was married to someone who was very abusive and uh me and my other cousins went and made sure he knew that that was never going to happen again and he refused to divorce her but we made sure that he would so that she'd be free and now she's with someone awesome and they had a kid and i'm very happy about that uh, i got a beautiful family man i'm super grateful um so spent the three months in iran and then it was okay when your three months is up you're either going to serve in the iranian military or you're going to have to leave before your three months is up so um we were looking at what we we're going to do and um my mom and sister flew out to iran to be with me for my 21st birthday and just to see that I'm okay, you know? And um, I was saying, I wanna go back to Italy. I wanna go back to my hometown. I wanted 360 and rebirth right where I started, you know? And my mom and dad said, no, we want you to go to India. They have a university that their degree is um, accepted everywhere. Um, you need to go here and this is the place. And I said, no, I don't want that. I, I wanna like, let me live, let me go to where I wanna go. And, they said, listen, we've been through enough because of the stuff you've done. Like, can you do this? And I said, okay. Like, um, but that wasn't what was meant to be. Um, the day before we were going to book my ticket there, there was a tsunami over there and bird flu became rampant in that exact city. And um, people were breaking down all the stores, trying to get food and do whatever. It got wild there. So they're like, holy shit, like you can't go there and um yeah so i didn't go there i so this is the tsunami that happened through indonesia right and then it spread to africa okay what year I, was this this was 11 years ago so 2007 yeah i think that was the big one was that it yeah yeah um so the tsunami happened there's bird flu in that place that you were gonna attend university in india mm -hmm. so this is the day before you're gonna buy your ticket to go there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I went back home to Italy. Um, I got a, an apartment five minutes walking from the hospital I was born in. Um, but I was, this whole time I was just manically depressed. I'm like, what the fuck has my life become? What's gonna happen? Like, all it takes is me to just get caught by someone like when i was in england the police stopped me and i ran and they chased me and i fucking ran you know like you they all ran them oh yeah i i ran for my life because i knew that's what was on the line in that moment you know hopping fences and went you know um so there was there was shit that was going on this whole time there was no sense of security whatsoever you know um so they stopped you because of what like because i i was cold so i wore a hoodie and in england if you wear a hoodie they basically assume that you're a criminal and mm. the city that i was staying in um so i went to england i was with 
one of my aunts, they live in a better off area. Um, then I went to Iran, then I went to Italy and I could only be in Italy for three months. So I had to leave for three months before I could come back again. So I left and went back to England again. And then that's when the whole thing happened with the cops. Um, I stayed, basically my first aunt that I stayed with and her, um, she said, like, we just don't want to have any contact with you anymore. That was too much, which you put us through, like, basically just leave us alone, you know, which hurt, but it was understandable. Um, so I stayed with um, my aunt's ex-husband and my cousin, who's his son. And that guy was just really hurting and in a super dark place. So it was just like really a lot of negativity in that house, you know. And uh, the area in which it was was um, not a particularly great area. So, yeah, I was out with my hoodie on. and um, Okay, so they, they got uh, you there. You outran them. Mm -hmm. um, you're back in Italy. <laughs> so um, eventually, yeah, I did get back to Italy, but before that that second stint in uh in england england i just had a day where i lost it where i completely like broke a phone booth and ripped the phone out of this i called my dad and i just say listen dad i just want to come home i just want to come home and i just started slamming everything just breaking everything mm -hmm. i couldn't take it anymore you yeah, know yeah your like, mental breakdown mm -hmm. and then uh i just cried and uh yeah so went back to italy after the three months was up felt like a fucking jail sentence being in england that time really um but i fucking love that cousin of mine that i was with i miss him too um but yeah uh so get back to italy and i used to smoke newports at the time and uh yeah i had a buddy who went to the u.s and brought me a couple cartons uh and uh I'm in Italy and I used to do this thing where you'd flip one of the cigarettes when you'd like take the pack out and they called it the lucky and that'd be the last one you'd smoke and they'd be like, oh, that's your lucky, you know? And um, I've been in Italy this time for maybe a month, month and a half. And I was walking and there was this uh, heavy set lady walking. I had a girlfriend there and she lived in the dorms and it was this long road to get to the dormitories um the bus didn't go down there and i see this heavy set lady and she's carrying like eight bags of groceries she would take like three or four steps and then have to like put it down take like another 10 steps and she'd have to put it down and i'm like yo that's just fucked up so i go tell her like i'll take all of it and i'm a toothpick like i'm skinnier than i am now by a lot and uh i took her stuff there and put it down for her and then smoked my lucky and then i remember looking at my girlfriend and i said hey you think like this good deed and then me smoking this lucky is gonna do anything for me like as a joke right and then i get a call from my dad and he says you need to get to rome right now you have a flight in like eight hours back to la you need to get back right now and i'm just like what the fuck you know so uh yeah, I had a, my oldest friend that I have pictures of by the by my hospital bed when I was born. He was kind enough to drive me on very short notice all the way back to Rome. Uh, I got on a flight, came back. 
um, was going through border control stuff and I had this routine. I would dress up like really proper shave and all this stuff and basically try to keep them occupied in every country that I went to except for Iran where I knew I wouldn't get extradited because I knew if they swiped my passport, it would come up and I'd be fucked and they'd extradite me. And every single time, like I'd be in England and I'd be talking to the guy and he'd be like, what are you doing here? I'd say, I'm going to this business school. And he'd be like, do you know how much that costs? I'd be like, yeah, it's this much and I'm paying for it with this. And he'd be like holding my passport and all I'd need to do is put it down and swipe and boom, that'd be it. And they'd be holding it and listening to me talk and I'd be from my peripherals just looking at the passport and be like, don't put that down, please don't swipe. And then they would close it and hand it back to me, you know? And then I get back to LA I'm doing the same thing and the guy's like, oh yeah, how is everything? Good, yeah, fantastic. And I'm just like doing my thing and he's like, yeah, cool, boom. And while he's talking to me, he swipes it and he's like, yeah. And he just looks at me and he says, do you have a tattoo on your chest? And I'm like, yeah. So go stand over there. I go stand there and um a guy comes up and starts chatting me up and saying, like, hey, uh yeah, what, what were you doing for a year? Where were you? It seems like you had a good trip. And he's just walking with me, you know, like handcuffs and anything, and uh trying to get information from me. And I just told him, I said, Listen, I came back for a reason. I know what you're trying to do, like, let's just do it. And then he said, All right, thanks for being honest. And um yeah. Wow. took took me and homeland security arrested me lapd got me took me back to jail again spent another four and a half months at this point i'm facing life plus a lot of years because they've added charges to it and um yeah my dad uh put the last of his money first of all they lost the house because i skipped bail secondly uh he put the last of every penny he had into getting me uh robert shapiro as my attorney and um so, you know, who is Robert Shapiro? He is uh, one of the attorneys who was O.J. Simpson's lawyer and uh, got him off uh, during his his famous case that everybody knows about. Uh, great dude, very nice, awesome person. And, um, yeah, he, he took care of it. And um, I was in there four and a half months. It, we can go super deep into that, but I know we're running short on time. Yeah, Let's, yeah, we're, uh, you know, we definitely can go deeper on yeah. another interview for yeah, sure. Cool conversation. But mm -hmm. so you get this uh, high powered attorney, Robert Shapiro, mm -hmm. you were able to get out. You were in prison or jail for uh, four and a half months. Yeah, something like that. A little bit longer, but yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I man, I mean, this is, this is quite a story. Um, you know, as I've gotten to know you and, and, you know, I've even met your parents and they're just amazing people. So loving. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, seeing like your childhood photos of sort of that, that, that twinkle in your eye, you know? And mm -hmm. so it, it's so funny to see how, how geeky and nerdy you were, but like how, um, just full of life and, and how happy you were in your photos and sort of being dealt a bad hand at certain times of your life that enabled or sort of brought you in a path of just not giving a shit anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and checking out and then just, I mean, obviously who wouldn't be pissed off, you know, some dude like threatens your life 
mm-hmm. you know, um, and being hurt that your girlfriend has cheated on you like multiple times. And so, um, as you said, it doesn't mean that, you know, that person deserves to uh, be threatened with their life the way that you guys did. And so it was just this sort of downhill spiral that happened, you know? Yeah. And uh, what, what I've seen in this story, too, is just this sort of, um, you know, as, as many of the other stories that you hear, people that have gone through shit, you know, and and trials and tribulations and just where they were at during their lives. Um, you know, there's there's some weird synchronicities that are going on, you know, uh, timings and with, uh, for example, the border people not checking your passport, you know, um, it, you're like, you're just going through all these like little hoops and, um, you know, being able to help an old lady carry groceries in Italy and, and you talk to your girlfriend and, you know, you're like all this good deeds with, you know, smoking your lucky cigarette and helping this lady. Uh, was, was there anything else with that or in terms of, you know, you're like, oh, it's just, just more helping this lady and then smoking your lucky cigarette. Yeah, I mean that and I didn't I know we don't have the time, so I didn't go into detail about the stuff that happened when I was in jail. You know, like there were times where I was like, holy fuck, there is some force that's just protecting me right now. You know, I'm in Gang Bang Central USA. I was put into Supermax, which is the highest security jail in the uh, Pitches Detention Center. Um, my bunkmate was in there for attempted murder. The dude right next to me was in there for attempted murder people in there on murder charges and uh there was a force guiding me through that stuff which there's uh, there's so many stories of that which we just don't have time for you know but yeah there was totally like um like is this a fucking movie is this is this all a fucking game is there someone with a joystick somewhere just playing me right now is that what's happening because how the fuck does all this happen you know yeah and so that's where we had this sort of deep conversations or how are these uh events unfolding and like you know is there some sort of volition or the destiny is it a combination of the two um we like to use i guess analogies and metaphors because we don't really know for sure uh we both love science but we also see that there's even limitations of science trying to explain these mysterious almost paranormal synchronicities you know so rather than pretend we know or say this is what it is we just like to sort of speculate on what it could be and so these include a lot of our own like spiritual experiences as well and um uh you know i love i love what you say all the time is like ultimately at the end of the day right it's your way of saying like we're here right now and you have these experiences and what are you going to do with them now in this this little limited blip of life that we were living right now so uh man that that was you know every time i hear that story it's just like like holy shit man like you've come so far you know um and your heart is is so sweet i mean like underlying like all those struggles that you and your family have had like since like living leaving iran you know um and just 
continuing to like push forward and like continuing to um be hospitable to like your parents are so like sweet and you know taking people into their homes and like you know making them feel part of the family and it rubs off on you obviously and uh and then all these experiences you've had like including uh meeting like Wim Hof and at that time being uh suicidal you know so it's there's so much going on brother <laughs> you know what i'm saying like yeah man we yeah. have like everything we've talked about up till now i still never even fathom suicide at that point you know it it keeps going you know it's not you got knocked down and got back up again it was like got knocked down got up got kicked in the nuts fell down while i'm on my knees someone kicked me in the face and then pissed all over me and then threw me in a dumpster and it just kept barrel rolling lower and lower and lower until finally I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm done, you know? Um, yeah, we just, I know we don't have the time for oh, it. Oh, no, we got time. I'll let you know, man. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, so go ahead. Um, just, you want me to continue on from when the jail thing is done? Yeah, man, either that or, um, you know, like you said, you get dumped in a dumpster, you kicked in the face, you yeah. pissed on, like, um, maybe it led to, is that where it, like, epitomized uh, or or crescendo to um, going to Poland and meeting Wim? Or? Yeah, so uh, just to super fast forward through getting out of jail, um, uh, yeah, the, the day that I went in and they told me um, that I was going to get one year and that they were going to let me do the rest of it on house arrest and that they were going to let me out that day, uh, I fucking lost my mind. I, I, that was like truly like the me and all that. And I'm just like the bailiff is taking me back. And I'm like, did you hear what they said? And is this happening? And he said, yeah. And, um, yeah. And the walking up to a door and waiting for them to buzz me out. And the guy's like, open the door. And I turned the knob and the door opened. And I'm like, oh my God, I can open a fucking door. Like, on my own you know yeah and, uh, at that point before you had i guess you had made a, a decision that you were possibly or highly likely to spend the entire rest of your life in prison yeah they kept putting that yeah they kept putting off my court case like a week a week a week and i kept having this delusion that like i'm gonna get out this week and then one day when I went in, they're like, okay, next court date is in two months. That's when it hit me, like, I'm going to be in here, you know? And I don't know what happened, but on the way, like, as soon as I got out of that courtroom and they took us back to the um, the holding cell, my mind just, inside my mind, it just kept looping mind, body, soul, mind, body, soul, mind, body, soul. It just, and it just kept happening um all the way on the bus ride back i got in there and i was just staring at the wall and i'm like mind body soul mind body soul um supermax they'd wake you up for count which is where they check your wristband and make sure nobody escaped they wake you up at 5 30 whereas in the other place they woke you up at 10 so you could actually sleep everybody would wake up at 5 30 and um do the count then go back to sleep uh not me not after that day me and uh one of my friends in there, Scooby, and another gentleman that unfortunately I don't remember the name of, but I remember his face very well. Uh, 
we stayed up while everyone was asleep and we worked out. We did over a thousand push-ups. And I'd do 20, he'd do 20, he'd do 20, I'd do 25, 25, 25 until we get over a thousand each day. Then we'd grab the newspaper that they brought in for the whole dorm. Everybody's still sleeping so we don't have to fight over it. I'd read it from front to back. Any books that were left in there, I read all of them that were in our dorm. Um, and that was it. I'm like, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind if I don't do something in here. Um, I had no muscle definition. I was a stick. My, I had no chest, nothing. But you do over a thousand push-ups a day, and you'll see some changes. You know, um, I I just went hard after that, and I accepted that this may be my life for the rest of my life. And if this is what it's gonna be, then I'm gonna be a fucking beast at this. You know, like that's that's how I'm gonna live. Um, so that's what I did, and when I got out, um, I. I was just, I was, I felt like I was going to come out with this tenacity and, and just kill it. But I, um, I didn't, I, I came out and it was still like back to where everyone is just hurting and like what just happened and everyone shell shocked. And, uh, when I saw my mom, my dad didn't tell her I got out. And, uh, when I walked into the house, she was crying and laughing like, it chokes me up still when I think about it. Like, uh, she was seriously like she was. Uh, I'd never seen emotion like that out of a person, you know. And uh, she's so happy. And uh, yeah, uh, I had to report to get that ankle bracelet put on. Um, I started school immediately. I was on probation until I was twenty-five. My probation officer wouldn't even shake my hand talk to me like i was a dog um you're treated that way the entire time yeah it was like a system, minion yeah. dog gimp or something you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's our inside joke yeah but. that's that's you and me right there yeah um so i end up um yeah from 18 to 25 i was in that system i'm 32 now and i was telling someone the other night uh Next, when I turn 33, it'll finally teeter over where for my legal adult life, I would have not been in that system for longer than I have been in that system. You know what I mean? So we're getting there. Um, yeah, so fast forward. Uh, time goes by. My dad is working on some stuff that isn't paying off for him. And he's like six years into something that hasn't given him a dollar. We're struggling really hard. Um my dad came to me and said, look, I, we need something. Um, I need you to do something. And I'm sorry to tell you this, son, but I need you to get out of school. And I was like, fuck, yeah, fuck school. I've been waiting for this day. I fucking hate school, man. Like, right. if I want to learn something, I'm going to learn it on my own. I'm not going to have them fucking sit there and judge me on what I can memorize that they're telling me to memorize. Like, thank you. I've been waiting for this day, you know. So, um, yeah, I end up... Um, I ended up starting a business, uh, and from there, it was, uh, my dad ended up in the hospital, almost died, um, my sister found them unresponsive in his room, and, uh, got an ambulance out there, and they barely saved him, and, uh, yeah, that was really, really tough, and um, I started talking to this girl from my high school a few days prior to that. And then I just stopped talking to her. I was in the hospital for 72 hours. We didn't know what, what, the, what just happened, you know. And um, then 
she got in touch with me like what happened to you and i said uh yeah i'm sorry my dad's in the hospital she said which one i said this one um i walk out i hadn't slept in three days i finally walk out and go into the parking lot and just start crying because my dad uh was responsive finally and um just let that energy out you know released it and um then she messages me and says hey come to the lobby and i told her listen like i can't see you right now i look like fucking shit you know like my eyes are just like i just let out all this in in the last 10 minutes bawling like a child you know and um she's like okay i'm leaving something for you at the reception just come so i come and i just felt her energy in the room over like to the left of me and i just like walk right into that room and she's standing there dressed in all white looking like an angel really and um i said like you deserve for me to at least show my face like i'm sorry i look like this and she was like no you look great um we talked a little bit i had the guy who was involved in that case with me with me as well and i introduced them and he finally got out to you he got out too so that's a whole other thing i had to come back because he was an American citizen, so they'd moved him over to the jail in Arizona, which is for immigration jail, and they said, we can hold this guy up to 15 years. Um, doesn't matter that we gave him a three-year deal. We can hold him up to 15 years, so unless Nima comes back, we're keeping him 15 years, so I had to come back. Um, anyhow, so... Uh, You're with your girlfriend. I know she wasn't my girlfriend at the oh, time. Okay. I was just talking to her, and um, she brought flowers, I grab the flowers, I get into the elevator, and I see my buddy is just staring out like like out into the elevator and I'm just like zoned out. I close it and I call his name and he finally snaps out of it. I'm like, You good? He said, Yeah, I'm good. I take the flowers to my dad and my mom says, Look, you haven't slept in three days. Why don't you go home, take a shower, get some sleep, and uh then you can come back. So I go home and um I go to smoke a cigarette before I take a shower and uh, I just get hit with like a lightning bolt of energy and I just drop to my knees and just start, I see this girl and me together. I see this girl and me and I know that we're married in that moment and I see like I just keep getting these flashes of all this different stuff and I'm just shaking. My hands are on the ground like a gorilla and I'm just shaking and I'm crying and I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? I just keep repeating it and uh I didn't know what to do, so I called my buddy. First, I shower and all this stuff, and I'm just like, what did I just experience? That I've never learned of anything like this, you know? Um, and I call my buddy, and I tell him, and he just starts crying. And I said, what? And he said, when, you, when we got into the elevator and I was zoned out, he said, I turned around, and I saw her, and she was standing by the door with her hands like this. And she was waiting for you to look back, but you didn't. But he said, I looked at her and I just got a flash of her standing like that in front of a house with your hand on her shoulder and you guys were married. And uh, I was like, oh my God, you know? So uh, my dad gets out of the hospital and I tell him I need to talk to you. Let's go to the park. And um, I go to the park with him and I said, listen, I found my wife. And he said, what? And I show him a picture and he just starts crying and he said listen the day you were born i saw your wife and all these girls you dated it i was like that's not her but this is her and um 
So I call her and I say, listen, like, uh, I'd really like to see you. Is there any way we could see each other? Like, where do you live? And I find out she lives like five doors down from me. You know, I'm like, what the hell? Um, we go for a walk around the neighborhood that night for like three, four hours. And we're just talking, you know. And um, the next day her mom tells her, you met a guy, didn't you? And she said, what? Why would you say that? And she's like, I had a dream about him. He has green eyes, doesn't he? And she was just like, you know, and um, all this stuff. It was like some otherworldly thing was going on, you know, and I didn't know how to explain it, but I didn't care because, like, I was so happy. Um, from there, she, uh, her and I just had, like, this amazing six months, you know. It was just so, so great. And she wanted kids, and uh, we, it wasn't really in my plans. Um, she came with me to my godson's birthday on December 6, 2014, and I saw how she was with the kids and I told her, you know what, like you deserve all the kids in the world, like I'll do whatever you want. And um, she ends up uh, telling me like, I really want you to meet my closest friends tomorrow. So December 7th, 2014, we go to meet her friends and um, she, one of her friends says, you know, cause I bought her a Android phone, an Android phone for her birthday and um, they said like, yeah, since she doesn't have iPhone, we can't do group messaging anymore. You ruined it. And I messaged one of my friends and I asked him like, uh, how can I fix that? And he said, oh, go to Google Hangouts and um, you can fix it there. So I go to Google Hangouts and I see that there's a conversation with her and her ex-boyfriend. And then I click on it and I see that like throughout our relationship, she was still in touch with this guy and telling him like, I was thinking about you. I hope that's not inappropriate. And all you could just tell that they were still doing their thing and um it just broke me like uh, that was that was where i hit that point where I, when i was with her i still didn't love myself from that childlike moment till that moment i still didn't love myself but this person loved me and i loved that person so that person loving me made me value myself in accordance with how she valued me and my interpretation in that moment was that she valued me very highly when that new information came in through that through those texts, um, that shifted my interpretation. And then it was, I should have known it was too good to be true. I should have known I don't deserve this stuff. I'm not good enough for this, blah, 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 you know? And um, I showed her, told her we shouldn't see each other anymore. Um, she, she said, no, like, I love you. I want to be with you. And I was just a really shitty boyfriend for another six months because she was trying really hard to fix fix it. Um, and I was done, you know? And uh, at that point, she started seeing somebody else and just ghosted me. And um, I don't blame her at all. I was just a nervous wreck. Um, and that's when my godson's dad, Bobby, showed me he sent me the link to Wim Hof's Vice documentary. And um, all my friends used to make fun of me because I fucking hate the cold. I hate the warm. The warm is cold to me. Like, so it would be like 70 degrees and I'd be wearing a jacket and all my friends in LA would be laughing at me, you know? And um, then I saw this and I was like, that's fucking terrible. Like, I will die there and I will be miserable the whole time. I can't fucking climb a mountain in my shorts. 
I can't get into that ice where I will die and I will suffer and I deserve to suffer because I'm a fucking piece of shit, you know? And um, so as soon as the documentary ended, I was with three people and uh, I signed up right then and there. I got on my phone and signed up for the next available slot, bought my ticket there. And they're sitting there like, whoa, you're so fucking awesome. You, you just see things and you do it, man. Oh, I wish I was like that. But they don't know. I'm just like, I just want to fucking die, you know? Like, I'm over this whole thing. Um, so that, that's pretty much you bought a ticket to find a way to die. To die, to okay. suffer to my death, you know? Yeah, the, a way of hoping to end your life, like, suicide-wise by... Suffering in the worst in way that I could imagine. You yeah, know? yeah. Okay, I, so we're going to leave everybody in suspense on that because this is the, the second part of the interview that we're going to do uh, pretty soon and continue on from that point because it's, uh, it, it really starts to put context in like everything that we've been talking about or you've been sharing. So, um yeah Nima thank you so much again for you know your time and sharing your story I think it's so important for the world to hear this I think that there's many people out there that are going through uh their version of uh suffering in life and uh, as we all are um and hearing these kind of stories um like real stories of of you know challenges and how we overcome them you know and how now we're at a place where we can help people um out of those those dark abysmal holes so um again dude um let's continue this again uh, on the next uh, episode of hangry and horny and uh, everybody thank you again for tuning in and stay tuned for the second part of this amazing conversation with nima Kalilian. yes sir thanks bro all right brother thank you for listening in everybody to nima Kalilian's story as you had uh, heard we were gonna do a second part of his journey so stay tuned to the next episode of Hangry and Horny with Nima Kalilian. I also want to give a big thanks and shout out to the sponsor of this show, F-Bomb. Go to dropanfbomb.com. Check out all their amazing products from macadamia nut butters. They also have nice oils. So those who want to get some more fats, nutritious fats into their diet, check out all their different uh, products from the uh, macadamia nut butter packets that you can take on the go. They also had those other oils such as avocado oil. They have MCT oil for those that want to put it in their coffee or over their salad as well. They also have olive oil. So go to dropanfbond.com, use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and get 20% off of your first order their products are also offered in Amazon, CVS, and Whole Foods. So check out droppinfbomb.com. Fat is smart fuel. Thanks everybody for listening and see you on the next episode of Hangry and Horny. Peace. <laughs>